in light of how we started the morning, uh, it's a wonderful thing with the power not working, and now the power is working, uh, which is good. Uh, we're thankful that you're here. Let's see if this is going to work. Yeah, it did. All right. We are in Luke chapter 4. You can take your Bibles and turn over there. Luke chapter 4. Over the next, um, over the last two weeks, we've learned about the temptation of Jesus. We learned Jesus demonstrated his righteousness. He showed his righteousness despite the wickedness of the devil. There were temptations. Uh, three are mentioned. And we find out at the end of the temptation section that that's really just the beginning of the temptations for Jesus. If you notice in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. What is this? The temptations were not temporary for Christ. They were continuous and calculated. Satan was always looking for an avenue, always looking for a good desire that Jesus would have and trying to trip him up. It's interesting that his love for his disciples would be one of the main attacks that Satan would have. Remember, it was Peter himself that said to Jesus, No, you can't go to the cross. And Jesus said, What? Get behind me, Satan. At that very moment, his own friends were an avenue for temptation. I hope we're not an avenue or a means for temptation for our friends, right? We don't want to be that. We learn from these temptations, however, that Jesus is the righteous son of God. He's the man, the God-man, that was perfect. He never bowed to human desires over God. We saw that he... Always put the Father's will first. We learn he knew the word of God. And he used it continuously to control his thoughts. In, in Luke chapter 4 verse 4. Jesus responded from scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone. So it's by scripture he speaks. He talks scripture. Then in verse 8 he did it again. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Scripture again comes from his mouth. Verse 12, you shall put the Lord your you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again quoting from scripture. There's some great lessons there for us, but ultimately what we see is Jesus is all about scripture. He's all about it. His mind is continuously speaking the word and quoting from the Bible. Now today we're going to see what Jesus' ministry looks like. We began to see it unfold in Galilee. This is the ministry in Galilee. We're going to see the world's initial response, the beginning response to Jesus when he went public. How did the world respond 
at the beginning with Jesus? How did they respond? And the answer is, with great joy and praise. But it's initial. This is an initial response, and that is important for you to remember. Let's look at our passage in 4.14. In G- and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Again, we start with this introduction to Jesus' ministry in Galilee. In this introduction to Christ's ministry in Galilee, the emphasis, the focus, is placed on is on his ministry of preaching and teaching. I think this is so important. This would probably be the main point of the message. What he taught was the most important thing. Even more than what he did, even more than the miracles, it was what he taught is what the focus was. Listen, who is writing Luke's account? Luke. And he is what? A doctor. Now, if you were a doctor during Luke's time, how successful were you? Not very successful. Medicine wasn't quite what it is today. (laughs) Matter of fact, if you had something wrong with your hand, the only thing you could do is chop it off and hope that gangrene didn't set in. They didn't have antibiotics. So if you were writing and you were a doctor during this time, what do you think you would have focused on? The miracles. Focus on the miracles. Focus on doing what I can't do as a doctor. A fruitless job, right? Now Luke does record the miracles. But it's interesting that he emphasizes his teaching, Jesus' teaching. See, Luke gets it. It's not about here and now as much as what Christ says in eternity. And this is important. Notice, look at the verses in Luke 4.31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. He was teaching them. He repeats it. In 5.3, it says, He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. It's constantly talking about his teaching. In 6.6, it says, On another Sabbath, he entered and was teaching. Emphasis, teaching. And then in 13.3, 22, and he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching, teaching, over and over, teaching. I think it's a pretty important, right? And it's all the way through. There's different words that Luke uses. It's all about the teaching. By the way, <laughs> that's why you should be at this church this morning. <laughs> I hope that's your priority. Are you here to be taught scripture? Do you want to learn about God? 
Fellowship is wonderful. (laughs) Programs can be okay. (laughs) But teaching is what matters. The scripture is what changes lives. Some might say our church is a little boring. (laughs) We focus on the scriptures. The scriptures are not boring. They're what change our lives. Jesus, the same way, his focus was on his teaching. The beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee focuses on teaching. We can learn about a lot about Jesus by what he emphasized. Let's start with the setting for Galilee, the Galilean ministry, the setting. In this introduction, we get a summary of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, a, a summary, a snapshot of his ministry there. Galilee is right here on the map. Here, I'll come over on this side this time. Here, I'll show both sides. Galilee's around in this area. Right in here. Okay? This is the Galilee area of Israel. Here's Nazareth right here. Capernaum. All these places are in Galilee. Okay? This is the focus. Where's Jerusalem? Down here. So he's away from the main hub of religion for the Jews, right? He's up here in the country folk, you could call them. He's in the country folk. He's in the people, not in the big city. He's out in the country. And this is where he's focusing, in the Galilee region. In John's account, in the Gospel of John, he starts here. And around the river with John, the Baptist. He starts here, but then moves north after about a year and stays up here for a long time. That's what Luke focuses on, the Galilean ministry, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So let's look at four aspects of the setting of Jesus' ministry. You can follow along in your notes. Inside the bulletin, there's notes. You can follow along. First, I want you to notice Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Jesus was introduced in Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is important. That's what it says in 4.14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Again, there's an emphasis here. It's on the Spirit's activity. We've seen this throughout Luke already, right? The Spirit's work. Again, this points to Jesus as the Messiah. The Spirit's working through him, so he's the one. The Spirit only works in the ones that are God's. And in this case, it's the Messiah. He was empowered in his ministry. I want you to get this. It is important to note that Jesus' work that is associated with the power of the Spirit is his teaching First and foremost, again, look at verse 15. And he began to teach. The focus in the passage is about what he says. The next passage in 16 through 30 also talks about his teaching. So the empowerment of the Spirit is on to help him to teach right and teach the Word. The Spirit's working. Jesus said as much. 
to him in Acts 1.8. After he left, right before he was to go up, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will do what? You will witness. You'll tell both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, even to the farthest remote parts of the earth. What's the focus? On what they say. So again, it's the Spirit emphasizing the teaching work and working in the Messiah in the same way he does with us. So now let me ask you a question. Question. What does Spirit-empowered preaching look like? What does Spirit-empowered preaching look like? If Mike runs around up here and speaks really loud, is that Spirit-empowered preaching? Maybe. Maybe not. Hey, I've seen some guys do some amazing preaching. They can, woo, they can communicate. They can do some amazing things. I'm just waiting for one of them to do cartwheels across the stage one day. I've gotten so excited, I felt like doing cartwheels sometimes. But is it spirit-empowered preaching? I would suggest to you, spirit-empowered preaching is this. And I'm going to take a side note here, and I want you to get this. Because this is what we see from Scripture. This is what we see about spirit-empowered preaching. We see it with Jesus in the next scene, which we'll talk about in the next weeks. Spirit-empowered preaching is this. It's accurate. It's accurate. It speaks what the passage says. It's about the scriptures. It's not about opinion, human opinion. It's about the scriptures. Listen, when Jesus spoke, he spoke accurate all the time. But notice, when he spoke to the devil, he spoke Old Testament scriptures. Sticking to, this is the truth. Accuracy is key. Empowered preaching is accurate. Do you get that? Second, it's clear. (laughs) It's clear. It's got to be, only the Spirit can do that. (laughs) Because sometimes there's confusing stuff in here. This is Spirit empowerment. He helps us to be clear, the empowered preacher. Jesus was very clear, wasn't he? When he spoke, people knew exactly what he was saying. One time he said, before Abraham Abraham came into being, I am. And what did they do? They got angry and tried to kill him. They knew exactly what he was saying. Now, we need to study to know what what he was saying. But the fact is, is he was saying, I'm God. I'm God. And they knew it. And that's why they wanted to kill him. He's very clear. Very clear. That's empowered preaching. Third, it's passionate. Now, some of you are going to argue, wait a second. Passion? Does that include empowered preaching? Yes. And I'll tell you why. You'll see it. Obviously, this does not mean that the louder I get or the more emotions I show, it's spirit-empowered preaching. It doesn't guarantee that. doesn't guarantee it. But 
The Spirit does empower the preacher to do all that he can do with his body. All that he has in his personality to express it. God works through us to be bold. This includes boldness. Why do I know this? Because the Apostle Paul prays for boldness. He tells them and asks them, please help me to be bold in the proclamation. The Spirit also. Passion arises from something. You know where it arrives? When it affects your heart. Get this. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. Yesterday, we went to an adoption uh, adoption uh, meeting, and we saw hundreds, over 100 kids in Tampa that do not have a mom and a dad. They don't have it. Now, when I got there, and we started, when we first got there, there were no emotions. There was no passion. There was nothing in me. It was, this is really strange. My wife even said it. This is surreal that we're here. It's strange. But then we started to meet the kids. Okay? When we started to meet the children, guess what happened? It affected my heart. Both of us could not look at each other. Anytime she looked at me, I would look away. Because if I looked at her, I would start crying because I know these kids need parents. What happened? What made it bold? What made it hick? What made it click? I experienced it. I understood it. I got it. Where does passion come from in the preacher? How does Jesus passionately proclaim it? It's when the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, clicks in the heart. And you understand it. You understand the full ramifications of it. Do you get this, folks? Do you understand? The Spirit turns the lights on in your heart. Let me ask you a question. How many sermons have you heard in your life about not gossiping? Maybe a thousand? A lot, right? Why hasn't it changed? Why do we keep doing it? Answer? We need some spirit empowerment. We need it to click. We need the passion of God. We need the empowerment of the spirit. The spirit opens our eyes to understand what we teach. And the preacher's no different. If I get up here, you know how I express my passion. If I express it a different way, it would be fake. On the same token, I can never do it just to rile you up. That's stupid. That's wrong. Spirit-empowered preaching, it comes from understanding the passage. Getting it. Jesus knew the value of the word. And he was empowered by the Spirit to teach it. And he spoke it boldly. How boldly was he? How bold? Look at the end of verse 29. 
Verse 29 it says, or verse 28, And the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. As they heard what Jesus said, they got mad. And what did they do? They took him to a hill and they tried to throw him off on his head. Bold preaching, passionate preaching comes from the Spirit and it leads to reactions. Spirit-empowered Messiah, that's who he is. Does every teacher... And every preacher always preach accurately, clearly, and passionately all the time. No. (laughs) No. But Jesus did. Always. The scripture flowed through his veins. And I am very sure that his full personality was on display in all that he did. Do you think Jesus was this guy that just walked around just real soft and talked like this? Come on, people. When he cleansed the temple, do you think he was angry? Did he show passion? Absolutely. On the same token, I want you to get this. His ministry is spirit-empowered. Sometimes passion can be quiet. Did you hear me? It can be gentle. It can be, it can weep. All of those things are spirit empowerments. God works in our hearts to work with our personality to create what he wants. And we see the effect for Jesus of the spirit's empowerment. Look what happens. Great publicity. (laughs) Look at verse 15. Or 14, the second half. And news about him spread all through the surrounding area. Jesus was introduced into Galilee with great publicity. News spread. Here's that teacher. And he's speaking. And he's empowered. And he speaks. And everybody hears about it. And everybody's telling everybody, you've got to hear about this guy. You've got to hear what he's saying. It spread. Passionate preaching leads. Spirit-empowered, passionate, accurate preaching leads to spread. Publicity. Now, there's a warning there. Initially, (laughs) at first, very important, this is what happened. It appears initially that it was Jesus' teaching that led to this great publicity. We often think of his miracles, but it was his teaching. It was his explanation of the scriptures. A side note. We need to note that just because people appeared to like his teaching at first, that does not mean they were completely committed to him. Do you understand? Just because... (laughs) That's why sometimes when... When people are telling me, man, that was a great sermon. (laughs) A great, that is, thank you. I love you. Thank you for the compliment. But really what makes a difference is if your lives are changed. (laughs) If you're committed to the truth you hear. 
If you say, I like it, that was good, and your life doesn't change, then you really weren't committed to the truth. And Jesus had an initial praise. Everybody, wow, this guy can speak. He was a great communicator. After all, why wouldn't he be a great communicator? He's God in the flesh. I mean, he knew how to speak, didn't he? (laughs) Does he know how to speak better than Pastor Mike? Absolutely. I bet he could draw a crowd. (laughs) He can speak. People want to hear that. Until what happens? Until it gets personal. Until it gets personal. Until it's just a, it goes from Ripley's Believe It or Not, where people go and they just want to see something wild and amazing. You know what I'm talking about. They go to a circus. Why did people go to circuses in the old days? They went to see something different. And then word would spread. That's how Jesus was. His teaching was amazing. And people went, whoa, this is great. But then when it became personal, they bailed on him. We'll know a lot about our congregation in about three years. We'll know a lot about our congregation in about three years. We'll know a lot about your life in three years. You know, one of you come, if somebody comes up to us and says, oh, that was a great message, and three years from now you're not walking with God, what does that mean? That means you are just liking the words. (laughs) You didn't actually have it change your life. And here we have the problem of Jesus' ministry. Many people came because he was a great speaker, but then what happens? Gone. Listen, folks. Popularity, at least initially, is not a guarantee that there's commitment to the truth. Then how do we determine then if something's truly great biblical teaching? How do we know if it's Christ-like teaching? Again, if it's accurate, it's clear, it's spirit-empowered. Those things tell you whether or not it's biblical. Not by how many attaboys you get at the end of the service. Is it accurate? Is it clear? Is it passionate? I do think passion does play into it. It's the spirits and passioning. How do you know? You know by what the Apostle Paul says. Preach the word. In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's how you know whether it's accurate. If it follows that. Paul also prays for the emboldening. For him to be emboldened. Pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. To make known with Boldness, with boldness, the truth. Passion without truth is a lie. (laughs) Do you understand? Boldness with the truth is what is empowered by the Spirit. Boldness with the truth is what is truth. Again, it is important to note that 
the things that caused Jesus' fame, his popularity, to spread initially was his teaching. Notice this is developed in verse 15. Let's look. The third aspect. Jesus' ministry is taught in the synagogues. Taught in the synagogues. Jesus was introduced in Galilee through his teaching again. It's there. And he began teaching in their synagogues. He started in their synagogues. A synagogue was a place that most likely came about after Babylon, after the temple was destroyed by Babylon. At that point, most likely the Jews began meeting in these synagogues all over because there was no temple. And this is where he went. It included, the service included things like a thanksgiving at the beginning where they spoke the Shema. Let's look at the Shema. They would say something like this, a praise. Hear, O Israel, they would quote from the Bible. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is what they would say at the beginning and at the end of the service. A thanksgiving and praise. This is what it was about. And then there was a time of prayer. In the time of prayer, they would pray for needs and they would praise God for, his th- for what he has done. But then the focus would turn all to the scriptures. And at that point, someone would rise and they would come and they would read from the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. They'd read a section. And then they'd sit down and they would explain that. Then they would read from the prophets. They'd take another section and they would sit down. It wasn't like this. The, 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 the uh, leader at the synagogue or one of the men would come, they would, he would open the scrolls, he'd read it, and then he'd sit down and he'd talk through and explain what the passage meant. Very much like what I'm doing here, but I'm standing up. Just explaining what the passage says. Okay? The most important part of the synagogue service was about the scriptures. That's what it was about. We're going to see next week, Jesus does the same exact thing. He stands up, he reads a passage, and then he explains the passage. And then they ask questions and they think things, and what does he do? He explains some more. And he uses more scripture to illustrate. And that's what he does. So here we see, and then they would have a, uh, a closing word of exhortation. And as we see in verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom... He went into the synagogue and stood up to read. This was his custom to do this. Now, notice, and I want to read in the white spaces here a little bit, (laughs) in the spot that doesn't have things. I want you to think about this for, for a second. There is no place in here that's recorded Jesus led an effort to start a new church program. There's none of it there. It's nowhere in there. There's also no great building projects going on. And Jesus doesn't ask for a great love offering so that we can build this new place. There's none of that all the way through the New Testament. None of it, ever. One place, please find it, once. Never there. 
I know I'm reading in the I'm reading a little bit in the white here. He also had no committee meetings where he met and he was the leader of the committee. None of that was there. Ladies and gentlemen, a summary of Jesus's ministry. You ready? He taught, he prayed, and he loved people. He served them. That's it. Simple. And by the way, if you're thinking, men, that when you come to the meeting on May 15th that you're going to get some great, woo, program and, wow, great vision and all this stuff, you're in for a rude awakening. Because you know what this church is about? Simple. That's who we are. We're simple. We're going to do one thing. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to pray. And we're going to serve people. That's what we're going to do. Okay? Very simple. We might not get super huge because we don't have a business format. <laughs> but we're just going to keep it with what the Bible says. Okay? Does everybody understand? We're going to do what Jesus did to the best of our ability. Mark and I were talking about it. Keep it simple. Right? There's a nice phrase. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, I said the word stupid. Kids, don't say it. Keep it simple. That's what we're going to do. We're going to preach the Bible. Okay? We're going to work on sin in our lives. Right? We're going to serve each other. That's what Jesus did. And that's what the disciples did. So we see Jesus taught, empowered by the Spirit. He became famous because of his words. But he focused on the scriptures and teaching in the synagogues. Finally, we see... Jesus was initially praised by all. Wow. He was praised by all. That's what it says. Look at it. Literally, he was introduced and praised by all. It says, and praised by all. Does all mean all here? Interesting. In this context, it means what? Most of everybody as a whole. Right? In general, he was praised by all. In general. Hmm. What's the point, though? You know what this is, ladies and gentlemen? Mark it down. Get it. Get it in your mind. This is the honeymoon period for Jesus. This is the honeymoon. Tell me about the honeymoon, husbands and wives. The honeymoon's great, isn't it? Nobody else is around. It's just you and her. Everything's beautiful, right? Stars, everything's great. He's in the honeymoon stage. Everybody's praising him. Everybody's liking him. Let me tell you, his honeymoon is very short. The next phrase, they try to throw him off of a hill. The next paragraph. Most of the society turns on him. In John 7, 46... The officer said this, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Jesus was an amazing teacher. He was great. He could teach. But it was short-lived. How many people were with him? How many disciples were with him when he went to the cross? None. 
Maybe John sat outside, but it doesn't imply that he was up there saying, crucify me too. A matter of fact, when he's arrested in John 19, it says, all scattered. All ran. If John came, even when John came, he came behind the scenes. He didn't say, I'm going to go with him. I'm dying too. All by himself. Even the ones that praised him. And what did Peter do? Peter even said, hey, you have the words of eternal life. We'll go with you. We've got to go with you, right? And what did he do? Denied him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the honeymoon stage for Jesus. Praised by all. Initially, he's praised. Look, mark it. Jesus is praised, but then Jesus is condemned. Let's look at our passage next week to kind of get a highlight and let you think on it a little bit. Luke 4. Look, look at the passage. And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He entered the synagogue and on the Sabbath stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written. What? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel, good news, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. So Jesus comes into Nazareth, his hometown, in the middle of Galilee, and he begins to speak. And he's reading these scriptures. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down and all the eyes in the temple or in the, in the synagogue were looking at him. Why were they looking at him? To hear what he was going to say. To hear his explanation. Right? And he began saying to them over and over is what that implies. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what's the reaction? What's the reaction to his teaching? Here it is. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at his gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Now, this right here, we'll see next week. That little phrase there, is this not Joseph's son, is a huge turning point. It is a big red flag. Whoop! What are they saying? They were praising him, speaking well of him, wondering at him, all that, that was coming from him. Wow, great preacher, great teacher, wow. Red flag. Isn't he just like me? Wait a second, who does he think he is? Isn't he just a man like me? He said this scripture's fulfilled. What's he saying? Is he saying he's above me? <laughs> look. And he said to them, look, look what Jesus says to them. What he says is, he, he, what he doesn't say is this. No, I'm just like you. Yeah, you're right. I'm Joseph's son. He couldn't say that, could he? 
He wasn't. He wasn't. I'm just like you. Come on, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. No, he does this. He turns the heat up. He says, I'm going to make it even hotter in this place. I'm going to make it so hot, you guys are going to hate me. Watch. He turns the heat up. He says this. No doubt, you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard at done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. In other words, they're going to say, and he's telling them beforehand, you're going to say, why don't you take care of your own people here in Nazareth? You're taking care of those people over there. Take care of us too. And look what he says. He tells them in advance of what they're going to say. He says, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months. When a great famine over all the land. And yet, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. In other words, he went to somebody outside of Israel. Under the judgment, he went to somebody outside of the Israel. He let the judgment of Israel fall on even the widows. Even the widows in Israel. What's he saying? He's saying, too bad. You're not getting any blessings. You're not getting any healings. You get nothing. Wow. He turned the heat up, didn't he? And he said, now that's not enough illustration. I'm going to give you another one. And look, and there were many lepers, people sick with their skin falling off their body. In Israel, in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum, Naaman, the Syrian. Somebody outside Israel again. What's he saying to him? Listen, what's he saying? God doesn't always pick Israel. God doesn't always pick that person, you, Nazareth. I'm in the hometown. Yeah, I'm your hometown boy. But I ain't picking you, and I ain't healing you. Wow, how's that for a words from Jesus? By the way, last aspect of a spirit-empowered preaching, it's preaching that doesn't fear man. Mark it down. If I'm worried about what you think, I'm dead. Because that's not spirit-empowered preaching. Jesus didn't care. He preached the truth. He did it with gentleness and love. But boy, he could be hard sometimes, couldn't he? It was hard. Now let me ask you a question. 
Why do you think people spoke well of him? And then the next thing, look, notice their ultimate reaction. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove him out of the city. And they led him to the brow, brow of the hill that watched over the city. Or, or on the hill on which their city had been built. In order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on their way. What's their point? What's the point? They want to kill him. He speaks the truth. All right, here we go. Application. I want to ask you a question. Why do people speak well of his words, but then they try to throw him off a cliff? Why do people speak well of his words and then turn on him and want to kill him? What is it? Here's what it is. Personal application. Every single person in here has a huge temptation. Are you listening? I hope you listen. Taking in a message... And saying this, wow, that's good speaking. That's good teaching. I sure wish my mother was here to hear this. I sure wish my spouse that's dozing off to sleep would listen and hear this. I sure wish somebody else next to me would listen to this better. Everybody in here has the temptation of doing that. And you know what you can do when you finish that sermon? If you don't look at yourself the whole time, you will come up to me and you will look at me and you will say, good job, preacher. Sure hope my wife was listening to it. But when you get this point, this message was for you. For you. It ain't for your brother next to you. It is for you. You. You are the ones that don't deserve God's blessing. You are the ones that don't deserve to be healed. You are the ones that don't deserve anything but hell. Do you understand me? And I have my finger pointed out you. And let me tell you, it's not because I wasn't smacked by the message last night. But now, in the grace of God, the finger is pointed at you, everybody in this room. You deserve judgment. How are you going to respond? Too much. Don't want this preaching anymore. See, when the floodlights come on you, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to deflect it towards others, or you're going to repent.
Ronaldo preached this morning on not slandering other people. You know the problem in a church that hears that message? We can think of 15 different people that slandered us in the church. Man, I wish so-and-so was here to listen to that. How about you? How about you? Jesus turned the lights on. And the wicked hearts hearts were exposed. And they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. When Jesus turns the spotlight on people, it's like roaches at night. You turn it on and they flee. They hate you. Jesus says, I'm here to rescue the poor. I'm here to do the kind thing, to give good news. I'm here. Trust me. Obey me. Come to me. I'm here to give you these things. Aren't you just a man? Aren't you just one of us? You deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. Let's kill him. That's the way it works. When Jesus says you deserve judgment, you are wicked, you need to examine your hearts and turn to God. Not run for the hills or throw him off a hill. Jesus preached both the grace of God and the justice of God. How do you respond to the word of God, ladies and gentlemen? How do you respond to the Bible? What do you do when you hear it? Do you reflect, deflect? Say this is for somebody else? Or do you accept it? Do you reject it? Or do you receive it and repent of your sin? Do we use it to beat others? In other words, hey, you know how many times I've heard people say this? I can't, I can't count the number of times people have said this to me. I heard a sermon. I wish so-and-so would have heard it. Miss the point? Miss the point? If God says that you deserve hell, everybody in this room, what do you say? What do you say? No, I'm a pretty good person. I don't deserve hell. Then you'd be no different than the people of Nazareth. This is how you should respond. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and began crying out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. A Canaanite woman, not an Israelite, not a Jew, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly de- demon-possessed. Have mercy. Give pity to me, even though I don't deserve it. But he did not answer her a word. <laughs> he didn't say anything to her. And his disciples came and implored him and saying, Send her away. 
because she keeps shouting at us. Isn't that typical? <laughs> typical, isn't it? Send her away, the one that's really broken over her sin and sees her need. Send her away. But he answered and said, I was sent out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It said to her. But she came and began to bow before him, saying, Lord, help me out. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Woo! What did he just call that woman? A dog! Boy, the equal rights ladies would go nuts on this one, wouldn't they? The women's livers would hate this one, wouldn't they? He just called her a dog. What's her response? But she said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Wow! This is different. Yep, that's me. I'm the dog. Can I just have the crumbs under your table? This is how the Nazarenes should have responded. Yes, you're Lord. You're not our homeboy. You're Lord. You graced us by coming here. We don't deserve anything from you, Lord. Master, please have mercy on us. Instead, chuck him off the hill. Look what Jesus said to the woman. Oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. I want you to get this, ladies and gentlemen. When you say you get it, you understand the message is for you. Then you humble yourself and you say, God, have mercy on me. I need you. You're ready to hear the word of God if your heart's that humble. If your heart's not that humble, you're just like the Nazarenes, ready to throw me off the building. It will come one day. I know. It will come. I hope your heart is about submission to the word, not your way. And I do want to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, at this point, last night I broke because I realized how unworthy I am to even be your pastor. I don't deserve it. I can't believe God has graced me with this job. It is, a, it is a grace I can't comprehend. I'm the dog. I'm worse than the dog.
Ladies and gentlemen, if you think you've got it figured out, you're really just the opposite of that. If you think, oh, well, I could do it better. There is much of me that says, come on up here. Go ahead and take over. But that's not the heart of the repentant sinner. Trust the Lord. Lean not on your own understandings. Humble yourself to him. God resists the proud. Jesus was about teaching. Are you about listening? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you looked upon us, the dogs, and had mercy on us. That you gave your son to be our righteousness. Thank you, Father, for his death. I pray, Lord, that there's someone here broken by the weight of their own sin. I pray that they'll turn to you. Spirit, please work in their hearts. Please, God, to cause them to find the joy of repentance. Lord, please, please, God, take us. Use us for your glory, not for ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.